Chicago. I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, November 9th. While this program may not pit, provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. We don't do prayers, and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that we stream this audio on our website, which is letstalknative.com. We stream video of the show on Facebook Live, so you can catch that on, on a variety of group pages that my wife shares to and others. Uh, we take the sound or the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud for, uh, for podcasts. And we take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. So I encourage you to subscribe to our uh, podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can catch uh, not just these conversations, but even some of the, the shorter uh, pieces that we put up as well. Um, I am the host and the producer of the show, and I'm joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our, our audio and our video. And, uh, well, let's get into it. First, let me, <laughs> I guess, I got to apologize for, for what happened on my last attempt at doing a show. Um, turns out, I, like so many of you, I got put into Facebook jail. Um, I'm still not, I still don't have a full handle on what exactly I'm doing wrong. I know it has something something to do with how I, how the frequency at, at which I share non-Facebook content. I mean, when I share... Um, my Facebook live stream, I can share it all, you know, as many times as I want on, on all the group pages that I'm a part of. But when I share my YouTube videos or a link from something else, if I share that too many times, I get, I, I get suspended for 24 hours. And, and the problem that I had last week is I didn't know why I couldn't connect. I couldn't, I, I thought I was having an internet problem. I was trying, jumping through all kinds of hoops, trying to get, uh, get this to work. And it wasn't until a half hour in that I finally figured that I was in Facebook jail. I do have a workaround. I could have just streamed from my personal profile page, but uh, by then I was already frustrated, annoyed, and well, more than that, I was pissed off. So, uh, um, so again, made it, made had my wife make an announcement, and I made an announcement um, that I, you know, that I was I was in Facebook jail. Funny thing about about that is my wife posts that uh, that I'm in Facebook jail. And somehow that got twisted around, and my good friend uh, Paul Delarone, who joins me on the show so often, uh, called my wife the next day and said, "So what's going on?" I heard John was in jail again, again. <laughs> so no, I wasn't really, really in jail. I was just uh, blocked from Facebook for uh, for a day. So anyway, um, what I was going to do a show on last week, uh, the title was going to be "The Grinch Who Stole Native American Heritage Month." Um, there was a lot of buzz, a lot of outrage from from native voices that that Donald Trump had not declared November National Native American Heritage Month. <clears throat> the reality is he did, but he didn't tell anybody. He just it just got posted on the on the White House uh, uh, website. Uh, he didn't do any you know proclamation, didn't make any announcement, didn't do a press um, a press statement or. You know, any no media attention got drawn to it. However, he did decide that he was going to turn it into American History Month or Founding Fathers. I call it Founding Fathers Commit Genocide Month. Um, so that he had no problem making a public announcement. I mean, and, and I mean literally speaking the words. So in his attempt to do that, he kind of undermined the whole idea that November 
you know, by certainly every president back before Clinton, um, and 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 I think even the first Bush. I somebody told me all the way back to Nixon. Not so sure. I don't. Re- I don't remember. But um, uh, that presidents have declared November Native American Heritage Month, and Trump just pissed all over that. Uh, you know, and but here's the thing, and it is what I was saying. Can we drop kind of the you know the the phony outrage? I mean. Do any of us feel like we have to have Donald Trump validate a month for us? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big one on, on holidays, even the Columbus Day thing. I mean, I'm more outraged that there's a, there, that there is a Columbus Day, not that there isn't an Indigenous Peoples Day in so many places. Um, so I don't need a holiday. I don't need a special month. I don't need all that stuff. Most of you know that when I refer to our special month, I'm being eh, at least moderately sarcastic. So you know that. Um, so anyway, I so in, in calling Donald Trump the Grinch who stole Native American Heritage Month, by the time I get to actually do a show because I'm not blocked on Facebook, turns out we got another Grinch. We've got um, U.S. federal judge, um, I think it's William Scretney. He made a ruling, I think it was yesterday. It was probably yesterday. He made a ruling denying the Seneca Nation's um, motion for the federal court to vacate the arbitration ruling that uh, those arbitrators a year and a half ago or whatever it was um, said the Seneca Nation uh, has to continue to pay even though the compact doesn't call for any any payments after the first 14 years. Uh, so the Seneca Nation tried to uh, go into federal court to ask a judge to vacate the arbitration ruling. And, and, and they made a, a decent argument. The problem is, under the terms of the compact, a arbitration ruling is not is not appealable uh, uh, by by either side. It's not appealable. So the idea of the Seneca Nation trying to go into federal court and convince a judge that even though we entered into agreement back in 2002 that said we would let arbitrators make a final determination, we're asking you to vacate that decision. And and that's that was the the, the judge's way out. Basically, the judge says, "No, you agreed that uh, arbitration was uh, was going to be the final decision, and I'm sticking with that." Now. In his ruling, and I read through most of it, he did acknowledge that um, that there was ambiguity and that the arbitrators acknowledged that there was ambiguity. The problem is, arbitration panel was is three judges. Two of the judges, the two white guys, um, couldn't have been more clearly skewed in the state's favor. Because here's the thing about ambiguity. Historically and traditionally within federal courts, if there is a dispute between natives and non-natives, and some of the dispute is, is um, involves the ambiguity of legislation or a contract or or whatever, if there's ambiguity, which 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 would suggest that the native people could interpret the written words one way, and the white people can say, no, that's not what it meant. Judges have historically always ruled in favor of native people. On, on the on the premise that white people should know better. It's your system. You there should be a higher standard for states, the federal government, you know, uh, corporations, whoever is responsible for drawing up these contracts that that result in the in this this conflict. The state the there should be a higher standard for you than for native people because you're forcing native people into this system that's not theirs. I mean, and, and courts have ruled this. Not this arbitration panel, and and not this judge. So in this situation, 
it kind of harkens back to to a couple of previous shows that I did. You know, the, the one where I talked about all of these documents being written by white people for white people. And, and here's where it gets a little bit tough. Because, look, the Seneca Nation didn't negotiate all of the terms of this compact. No, their lawyers did. And i got to tell you, the lawyers are white. I'm predominantly. I mean, they claim to be experts in, in Indian law or Indian gaming or this, that, and the other thing. But you know what? The compact that the Seneca Nation signed or entered into in with New York State in 2002, it sucked. I mean, it sucked. There are there are huge problems with the compact, not the least of which was tying things like land acquisition to a gaming compact. Who the hell would even do that? Well, the Seneca Nation did, and they were advised by their lawyers. They also gave away the farm. They gave away an increasing amount of revenue to New York State in exchange for something that they didn't even have any way to evaluate its value. And, of course, what I'm talking about is revenue sharing in exchange for the state giving, conceding, a concession, as they call it, um, an exclusivity provision. The problem is the state didn't concede a goddamn thing. What the state said is they would not put a casino within the 15-county area around uh, Seneca territory. You know what? The state couldn't put a casino in any place in the state. They couldn't do it. Why? Not because of a compact. They couldn't do it because state law prohibited it. There was a, according to the New York State Constitution, New York State couldn't do casino gaming. They, they just couldn't do it. So they didn't give something up to the Senecas when they said, oh, we're, we, we, um, we're not going to do a casino within your exclusivity zone in exchange you're going to pay us a billion and a half dollars over 14 years. I mean, they didn't, they didn't not do gaming because of the compact. To the extent that they had, that they had any cuffs on them when it related to gaming, it was because of their own state law. So the state didn't concede a goddamn thing. And you know what? They didn't honor uh, any exclusivity. Why? Because to the extent that the, the state could do gaming within that area, they did do gaming. They put slot. They built huge slot parlors in three racetracks at three racetracks, horse racetracks that is, that were within the exclusivity area. Three, and for and every slot machine they put in those at those racetracks diminished the value that the state claimed they were giving uh, in in exclusivity to the Seneca Nation. So during that first fourteen year period. Of the uh, of this revenue sharing, not only did the Senecas go from paying eighteen percent of the of the net slot drop of, of slot machines to twenty two percent to twenty five percent, so they paid an ever increasing uh, increasing percentage as the value of the exclusivity got became worth less and less, or, or as I say, became worthless. I mean, it, it's absurd, and and so. Here's part of the of, of the problem again with with the lawyers who have represented the Seneca Nation, the very ones who negotiated that crappy deal for the Senecas in in 2002. Some of them are still the lawyers defending them now, or claiming to be defending them now. And that that couldn't be more unfortunate. I mean, it just couldn't be more unfortunate. So they go into arbitration, and these lawyers, there's. 
their feeling is the language is clear. And honestly, the language is pretty clear. There is no part of the compact that talks about payments past 14 years. That was what the, what the Seneca's whole position was based on. They said, look, we fulfilled our obligation. We paid you, you know, um, most of that period, the last seven years, 25% uh, of our net slot drop. And before that, it was it was 22. And before that, it was 18%. We've been paying you every year for 14 years for an exclusivity. And that wasn't really worth much. But that's not really what they were arguing. They're saying, we fulfilled our obligation. We paid you for 14 years. There's no language. Look, there's there's also not language that, that specifically what they call a sunset clause. There's no specific language that the payments end. But you know what? There doesn't need, there shouldn't have needed to be because there's a schedule that says you pay this much through one through four, you pay this much, uh, 18 for years one through four, you paid 22 from years five through, through seven, and you paid 25% from year eight to 14. That's, and no language past that. I mean, any language that talks about an automatic renewal doesn't address revenue sharing. That's what the, that's the whole position the Seneca Nation had. But it didn't have to be the only position the Senate Nation had. Because, and i got to say this clearly, and and I've talked about this before, federal law prohibits states from taxing native gaming. So whatever the state does to their slot parlors within the Seneca Nation exclusivity zone, Hamburg Fairgrounds or Racetrack, um, uh, Batavia Downs and, and Finger Lakes Racetrack, whatever... Those state licensed entities have to pay, that's a tax. And that has nothing to do with really with, with the with the Seneca Nation's um payments that are that are not supposed to be a tax, they're only supposed to be revenue sharing. And to distinguish the two, the Interior Department made it very clear that a revenue sharing has to pass the test to prove that it's not a tax. And that test is simple. It says Whatever the state gives for that revenue sharing has to be substantial and quantifiable. And both of those things are problematic because by substantial, what it means is whatever the Seneca Nation is buying with this revenue sharing, it has to be worthwhile to them. It has to be... It actually has to be more valuable to the Seneca Nation than what they're actually paying. Otherwise, why do it? I mean, you just... You just you just don't pay somebody for something if you don't get something that you really want or need. And the fact of the matter is the Senate Nation didn't need what the, what the state offered. The state already couldn't do a casino in their backyard. They couldn't build a casino in Niagara Falls or Buffalo. Now, I know eventually the state did change their constitution and they did approve building four casinos, but only four. And those had to be done in a very site-specific. One, you know, between Rochester and Syracuse. Um, one really downstate. Now, did they pick these 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 places specifically to avoid the um, the exclusivity zone? No, they they really didn't. They you know so Saratoga or yeah no I'm, Albany Schenectady area, um, Rochester Syracuse area downstate, uh, and then um, another one closer to New York City in, in the Catskills. Those are picked because gaming experts felt like those were the areas that they could they could produce a uh, a performer that would, would say, this is, this is what we can do here. Nobody was going to try to build a casino 
in Niagara Falls and compete against the Seneca Nation that already uh, already had a seven year uh, you know advantage on them. And they weren't going to do that, especially if they're going to have to pay a higher rate, a, a tax rate that was closer to forty percent, while the Senecas had been paying a twenty five percent revenue sharing, but that would have gone completely away. So. I mean, because of because of the so-called exclusivity. But the the bottom line is, the state didn't really give anything up, and that you could that you could say was worth. And and again, let me clear be speak clearly. Over the fourteen years of this, the first seven years, and then the next seven years, over that period of time, the um, the Seneca Nation paid one point five billion dollars to the state. 1.5, almost 1.5. You know, it's over 1.4, just under 1.5 billion with a B to New York State. There is no freaking way that the state could say, "Oh yeah, what we gave you was worth that." Because you know what? <laughs> they 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 took market share. The at the same time, the Seneca Nation is increasing the amount they're giving to the state each quarter. The state is adding slot machines right within their uh, within their exclusivity zone. And then ultimately, pass or you know, change their constitution so they can build a casino right at the doorstep of their uh, of their um, of their exclusivity zone. And you, look, even if the well, the Lago Casino doesn't violate the exclusivity zone, it doesn't have to. The question is, does it decrease the value of the exclusivity that the Seneca's had? Because that should be the test. The test isn't isn't necessarily. Did the state breach it? Although it could be regarded as a breach, because to, for a breach to to occur on this revenue sharing, it doesn't mean the, the state has to necessarily have broken um, or, or violated the the terms of the compact. Really, all they had to do was violate the federal statute associated with uh, with the Native Gaming that this was operating, uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. And if the state was was trying to impose a fee still calling it revenue sharing upon the Senecas while giving something that had significantly less value than the money that they were receiving that's a breach so and and, and I'll get back to why I'm saying this uh, as we as the show goes on so these arbitrators when they made their ruling they knew there was ambiguity but you know what they based their ruling on and and this is this should be problematic for for the state. But what they based their ruling on was yes, there's ambiguity, but it's obvious that if the Senecas um, don't pay, then they'd be getting something for nothing. Now, that's what two of these arbitrators said, the two white guys. They never really buckled down to say, okay, but what is that something you're getting? And is it worth, because for another seven years, that would be another billion dollars. Another billion dollars the state will receive if they're they're successful in squeezing this out of the Seneca Nation. And here's, here's the problem. Here's my complaint against the Seneca Nation lawyers. They didn't make this compelling argument. They may have mentioned during these arbitration hearings that, um, yeah, we're not really getting a value for that. But they should have pressed this issue they should have forced in arbitration not only made the argument that the language was clear that it was only for 14 years because 
part of the reason or the rationale for the Seneca Nation to believe beyond the language that this would have uh, sunset sunsetted in uh, 14 years was that the state's plan was to be fully involved in gaming after a period of time and that they would not be um, really granting a uh, an exclusivity of value to the Seneca Nation. See, here's the other thing they didn't do. During this arbitration hearing, they never said, let's get the people from the state who we negotiated this this deal with in 2002. Let's get the Pataki administration officials on. Let's get some of their lawyers in here, and let's ask them. Let's let's flat out ask them what the, the lawyers for, for, for Pataki, because that's who the governor was when, when this compact got signed. And keep in mind, Pataki was a Republican, governor's uh, uh, and Cuomo's a, a Democrat. So, if the Senate Nation had dragged in some of these lawyers who represented Pataki and said, so explain to these arbitrators, did you screw up? Did you demonstrate a level of incompetence by not putting specific language in the compact that would extend revenue sharing past 14 years? Or did you acknowledge that these payments would only be for 14 years? Because either you had the same interpretation that the Senecas did, or you demonstrated a level of incompetence that uh, that sent a false message and a false signal to the Seneca Nation. You sent a message either by mistake or on purpose, and this is what we need to, we need to determine. You sent a message to the Senecas that you only have to, that you only have to pay us for 14 years. So you, the lawyers for the Pataki administration, is it your testimony that this was just a blunder, a complete mistake by you and, and the bevy of lawyers that represented New York State at the time? Or was it your understanding that after 14 years, the state would likely be in, involved in, in enough gaming that the exclusivity zone that you, you claim to be offering wasn't really worth much? See, that should have been part of that conversation. And the Seneca Nation lawyers did neither. They didn't make a compelling argument that their exclusivity zone had diminished to the point that it certainly wasn't worth 25% of the net slot drop, or that that really the state ever really conceded anything. So when you get two these two white guys on the arbitration panel saying, well, if you don't pay 25% of the net slot going forward, then you're getting something for nothing. Well, then you as an arbitration panel, you need to make sure that that's something that you're claiming the Senecas are getting is worth more than nothing. And they didn't do that. And so when when Bill Scranton hears this case, he basically defers to the white guys. So, um, so in spite of the, the ambiguity, in spite of the fact that the, the, the lawyers who negotiated on behalf of New York State failed to put any language in there about payments past 14 years, and either breached or de- uh, the, the the exclusivity, the, the, the spirit of the agreement, right almost from day one, or at very least, diminished the value of that over that 14 years. And now that the state is in full-fledged Class 3 gaming mode, the, the the exclusivity has has little value, and of course 
the exclusivity also lost value beyond the state's control. I mean, there's gaming on the Canadian side um, that that has expanded. There's gaming in uh, in Pennsylvania. There's gaming in Ohio. There's there's gaming pretty close to where the Seneca Nation exists. So the exclusivity that the that the state claimed to be offering near didn't ever really give the the um, the Seneca Nation some some great competitive advantage. They certainly did not have an area wide enough of non compete that warranted paying the state $1.5 billion. This is the failure of lawyers. And and like I said, these laws, these proclamations, these declarations, all this language written by white people for, for white people. The same lawyers who negotiated the terms of this compact for the Seneca Nation are defending them today badly. They represented them badly in the in the compact negotiations in the first place and they are representing them badly going forward. We're at the bottom of the hour so we're, we're going to take a break. When we come back, let's, let's talk about what next. Now what? Just keep in mind, <laughs> we didn't just get a happy Native American Heritage Month from, from Donald Trump. We got one from, from Bill Scrutiny uh, as a US, a U.S. federal judge as well. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. This is John Kane. Let's talk native. Hero, lost a life today. Folks try their best, but sometimes it's just hard to.
Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native, and we are talking Seneca Nation issues, and I've talked about this uh, these issues plenty of times before, but because of a federal judge's ruling uh, yesterday, I believe it is, uh, it was, um, it's important that, that people understand what's really going on here. Um, before I get right back into a, a couple of things, let me first acknowledge and thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises and the good folks at uh, GRE and uh, Native Wholesale Supply. Uh, GRE is Grand River Enterprises for, for supporting the work that I do here and the conversations that I have here. It, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we don't have um, um, spokespeople who are willing to to be clear about these issues. And 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 I'm not blaming, you know, the president of the Seneca Nation or anybody else uh specifically, but we we can't expect people to understand what these circumstances are if we don't have um articulate um thought out voices that will explain these situations. And that's what I try to offer here. Now is is my opinion biased? Well, the nature of an opinion is to be biased. So, yes it is. And, you know, look, if you don't agree with, with some of what I'm suggesting here, that's fine. But you should know what some of these, I mean, the facts don't change. My opinion on those facts, you know, might be skewed, but the facts don't change. Um, so, look, I want to thank those those sponsors that, that allow um, me to do this and allow me to deliver and, you know, and offer some of this, this perspective, uh, especially to the Native people who listen. And look, I know I've got non-native people who who listen to the show, um, and and I appreciate that I, because I think they need to understand this stuff, but our own people do, you know. And and look, am I in a position of any kind of authority to hold the Seneca Nation responsible or accountable for for how they deal with this stuff going forward? No. And do I influence it? I don't even know that. But my hope is that I can at least edge, uh, you know, shine a light for for Seneca people to ask the questions of their elected officials. I'm not Seneca, and um, and I don't play one on TV. But um, I think it's important that people do understand some of the details involved in some of this stuff. Um, look, I also want to thank those people who, who share the show, like like my wife, uh, Brenda, who, who shares this show, the, the Facebook live streaming of this show on, on a bunch of other group pages. I want to thank those of you who... Who share the videos on uh, from YouTube and the uh, uh, and the and the podcast as well? Uh, we cracked 500 on as far as subscribers to our uh, to our YouTube channel. Uh, it took a while to get there, and I'd love to see it get you know pushed up to a thousand. Um, I do encourage people to to share the show um, and encourage your friends and relatives, those who you think will benefit from learning some of this information or hearing some of this information. Um, and you know, talk them into you know uh, uh, subscribing to our podcast and to our, to our YouTube channel. Um, all right. So before the break, I, I said we, we would talk a little bit about what next. Now, the way the newspaper put it out there is that the judge ordered the Seneca Nation to pay. Well, kind of. I mean, the judge did um, dismiss the motion to vacate the arbitration ruling, which was the order to pay, and he confirmed or uh you know affirmed i guess or um the uh, upheld i guess you would say the award 
Now, is that the same thing as a, as a court order to pay? I, look, I, I'm not a lawyer, but um, I, I think it's important that that what the judge actually ruled um, is proper is properly characterized. The bottom line is the judge says, "Look, I'm not I'm not changing anything because um, the both parties agreed that arbitration would be the way that this thing could resolve." Now, so where does that lead the Seneca Nation? Do they have to cut a check tomorrow? Um, I, I'm at least glad that uh, the president of the Senate Nation, Ricky Armstrong, did not offer a knee-jerk reaction to this ruling. He said, no, we're going to look at it and, and see what our options are. So what are some of the options? Well, I think there are two. Uh, one of the options is to simply not pay. And it was always one of the options, just to not pay. Because although, you know, in a way, Scrutiny's right. There, this, this arbitration ruling was not appealable. Um, the only um, language in the compact that talked about the use of federal courts beyond the arbitration was is if the prevailing party had to use the federal courts to um, uh, to force payment. Now, and here's where it gets interesting, because if the Seneca Nation doesn't pay and the state has to bring the 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 Senecas in the federal court, which is a little different than what just happened. What happened was essentially the the Senecas initiate initiated the case um, the, in in federal court. But if the state has to do it, here's where the the Seneca Nation does have an opportunity. Because as I said in the in the first part of the program, the arbitrators opened up a box. They said if the Senecas don't pay, they'd be getting something for nothing. Well, that should be, that should warrant a conversation. Well, what do you mean they're getting something from them? What is that something? What are they getting? And don't just tell me exclusivity. No, explain the value of that. Because we know what payment will over ne- the next seven years will be. It's a billion, another billion dollars. So you said, meaning the, the two arbitrators that, that ruled against the Senecas, keep in mind, the, the third arbitrator thought what these guys did was essentially rewrote the compact. I mean, he characterized their ruling by adding language that wasn't there and saying that there was some sort of extreme, extreme, you know, I don't know, uh, implied, I guess, or implicit um, agreement to pay past 14 years. I mean, contract law is supposed to be explicit, not implicit. I mean, there's no, you shouldn't be able to say, well, we, we think it means this. But that's what these two arbitrators did. They said, we think the Senecas have to pay because they'd be getting something for nothing. Well, that should open the door if the Senecas say, no, we're not going to pay because we aren't getting something for nothing. The arbitrators are wrong. So if, if this, if, and, and again, if the, if the, the Senecas don't pay, the state will have to take them into the Western District of New York court. It probably, it would probably have to be a different judge than this. And, and the argument the Senecas could make is that we're not getting anything of value. Now they can make the argument that they should have made an arbitration and really laid out the whole exclusivity thing uh, on the table. You know, they can't, they probably can't re-argue whether the language of the compact um, implied <laughs> that they were supposed to pay for, for another seven years. But the problem is the revenue sharing is now um, operate or exists in violation of the federal statute 
that the, that the state is trying to, you know, that calls for the compact in the first place. So the Senecas do have an option there. And there's another option. The other option is that the Seneca Nation um, calls what exists now as revenue sharing a breach and says, no, we're, without, we're, we're going to um, escrow um, the payment back from when we stopped paying because uh, we don't feel that, that the state is in um, is in compliance with the the federal um, laws uh, associated with revenue sharing. So we're calling it a breach. We're calling it a breach because we aren't getting any. We aren't getting something that is quantifiable or substantial. And you know what? Look, the quantifiable thing should be easy, right? I mean, that's the federal statute. The federal statute says you have to provide something that is quanti- substantial and quantifiable in exchange for revenue sharing. Then quantify it. I mean, it should be easy. Because if you're getting paid, if, if you're getting a payment, you should be able to tell exactly what you're getting paid for. And not some just general statement from you know two white guys on our arbitration panel saying, well, you'd be getting something for nothing. No. Don't tell me I'm getting something. You tell me, and you and and you should have forced the state to provide detailed uh, accounting that could quantify the value of the exclusivity uh, uh, of the exclusivity uh, zone. We know what the payments are. Though, you know, it's just twenty five percent of the net slot drop, which is almost which is almost like close to fifty percent of of the slot revenue. Because that twenty five percent of the net slot drop, that's twenty five off the top, right after uh, after payouts. The Senegas have to cover all of the expenses of the casino out of their seventy five percent. So by the time you cover the cost of the machines, the casino, and upgrades, and you know staffing, uh, people, slot attendants, you know even uh, bartenders and cocktail waitresses, you've you've taken a huge chunk out of what what should have remained of the of the Seneca Nation cut of these slot machines. But this is what uh, this is still an option. It, it seems to me the Seneca Nation could use uh, again use the system that they agreed to. A bad decision to be uh, you know again the terms of the uh, spelled out in the compact that that ties them to another white system of justice because it doesn't matter that it's not court. I mean this this uh, arbitration panel was stacked against them two white guys to one native guy. And and the native guy, although he ruled properly, I mean that guy's about as assimilated as uh you know as as any as any native person could be. I mean he he's worked in the system. He's a lawyer. I mean that's he you know Kevin Washburn didn't doesn't have any sense of Seneca uh, culture or history or law or governance. No, his job was only to re- represent. Um, you know, uh, to look into into white man's law, so that's what he was there to represent. And I'm not, you know, criticizing Kevin, Kevin Washburn. I'm still very critical of what the, of what the Seneca Nation lawyers have done. I mean they they should have um, insisted that the revenue sharing was over just based, even without the language, just based on the fact that they weren't getting anything of value. They were no longer getting anything of value out of this exclusivity zone. And and like I said, if you consider that the state did compete 
against the Seneca Nation to the full extent that it could legally under state law, it just begs the question, then, then what did they give up? What did the state concede? Because, again, for those of you who are listening, especially non-Native people who are listening, you have to understand, the state doesn't get rewarded because they allow Native gaming. I know some of you are thinking that. I saw a lot of the posts. Oh, the state's got to pay, uh, the Seneca's got to pay something. The Seneca's could pay for services. And in fact, the Seneca's were paying for services from the state. And even that became difficult because when the, when the Seneca Nation told the state, uh, the regulators and others, even the state police, if you're going to submit a bill to us, we need to, we need to, I don't know, don't just send us a bill for $60 million. You better tell us what the hell you did for that $60 million. <clears throat> and the state couldn't do it. In fact, that became such a point of contention that the state police said, no, we're not, we're not going to um, police the, the casino anymore. Even though, even though they had a, a essentially a written agreement to, to compensate the state police, so then some of that stuff, stuff fell on the, the city of Niagara Falls police. And you know what? The Seneca Nation says, look, if we have to do a service agreement, let's, ne- let's negotiate a service agreement. But you know, the the former mayor, I can finally say former mayor, Deister's no longer the mayor of Niagara Falls. Jeez. The former mayor just refused. And you know what? The rest of the, the, the politicians, Democrats and Republicans uh, in Niagara Falls, they all, uh, they refused to. And especially the Democrats. They just packed in behind the governor and Paul Deister. Uh, we'll see what happens going forward with, with a new mayor of Niagara Falls. But I guarantee that with this judge's ruling... The new mayor of Niagara Falls and the and the current mayor of uh, the Democratic mayor, the new mayor of Niagara Falls is a Democrat. The the mayor of um, uh, Buffalo is a Democrat, although he's mired in his own problems right now with the federal government, the FBI raiding the city hall. I mean, geez, who the hell knows what's going to happen there? And and of course the um, the mayor of uh, the city of Salamanca, I guess he's a Democrat. I mean, he's. Supposed to, I mean, Seneca, but he seems to be again more packed in behind the governor, and and the governor's immediate statement was, "Oh, we said all along the Seneca's had to pay," and uh, and and the judge said they have to pay. Well, honestly, I hope the Seneca's don't pay. I I hope they 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 fight this all the way through. And here's here's one of the the, the things that this, what the Seneca Nation was trying to do with this court case. By the way, it wasn't just the idea; they weren't just asking to vacate. Um, the arbitration rule. That was one of the things they were asking for. The other thing they asked for is, Judge, um, help us uh, push the the Interior Department into, into making a, deter- a determination on the revenue sharing. Because the Interior Department said, you know what? We don't usually jump through the hoops unless both parties ask us. Well, I guarantee there's no way in hell that the state was going to say, oh, Interior Department, let's have you review this, this, this revenue sharing agreement. And, and you know why the state wouldn't do it? Because the 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 um the Bureau of Indian Affairs the, uh, under the Interior Department they didn't sign off on this compact because the revenue sharing agreement was 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 so bad. Instead, they just punted. I mean, there's three things that the Interior Department or the BIA could do when it comes to a gaming compact. They can either approve it, they could reject it, or they could do neither, which is essentially like acquiescing and and a silent approval of the of the, of the compact. They they did the third. And why? Because they didn't agree with with some of the language there. They thought the language was, was troubling. Not just a 14-year thing, but but the whole term. But you know, you look across the country, 
There are states, you know, uh, several states that are trying to squeeze native gaming under the guise of revenue sharing, even though they're offering nothing of value in return. And here's the sad part. You know, as, as Mohawks and Senecas, we've earned a reputation, you know, across, you know, really throughout the world for standing up to the, to the state and federal government, especially standing up to the state government. I mean, I've traveled. I've traveled with guys like Ross, Ross John, um, to Blackfoot territory and, 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 you know, to the Northwest and, you know, the Plains and, and different places. And, and you can, you can almost hear it in, in when you're talking to me. Oh, yeah, we know you Senecas and you Mohawks. You guys really stand up. I don't know that we have that reputation. I, I don't think we earn that reputation anymore. What the Senecas agreed to in a compact was terrible. And it didn't just hurt the Seneca people. It hurt everybody. You know what the governor in Oklahoma wants? Out of the, his native, the, the native gaming facilities in, in, uh, in Oklahoma? He wants to make as much money as the state, uh, the state of New York is making. He wants 25%. Ooh, where did that number come from? The Seneca Nation's bad compact cost everybody. Oneidas didn't pay 25% until recently. Where did that number come from? It came from Seneca territory. Aquasasti, they agreed to 25% too, after the Senecas did. No, the, the Seneca Nation didn't raise the bar for, uh, for for conditions for Native people in gaming. They lowered it. They raised it for the state. They 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 improved and they gave the New York State a billion and a half dollars in fourteen years, a billion and a half dollars. And if they do agree and just cut a check for what they owe and and, and plan to pay twenty five percent going forward. You know, through this, you know, through 2023, they will have paid another billion dollars. Or not. <laughs> because if they don't, if that number doesn't equal a billion dollars after after a seven-year stretch, it's because they already lost market share to the state. The very thing that they're supposedly be that they're supposed to be paying the state for. Mark uh, a protection of their market share. They didn't get protected from... Their market share wasn't protected by a state agreement. The state trampled on that market share and took some of it. They took it at every one of these racetracks and they took it with a with a casino just on the, on the fringe of their exclusivity zone. And you can hear ads on, on... You can see them on television, you can hear them on radio advertising right here in Western New York for Delago Casino. Look... What the Senecas agreed to in 2002, um, look, you, you could argue what they agreed to was, you know, yeah, it was a bad deal, but they didn't know any better. And you know what? The lawyers who represented them, the gaming expert lawyers, they clearly didn't know any better either. They weren't gaming experts. What they did is they went down a path um, that made it easy to get a get a compact agreement. I mean, they threw a, a portion of the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act into the compact. They agreed with New York State that they would limit the amount of lands that they purchase under the terms, the reacquire under the terms of the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act. They agreed to reduce their land acquisition funds down to $5,000 after they 
they purchased two parcels for, for gaming in Niagara Falls and Buffalo. And they also agreed that any land purchase that they made would be for non-commercial um, uh, uh, purposes. So so they bought land up in Niagara Falls and put a golf course on it, old hickory stick. <laughs> they put they they bought land and they and they couldn't take it off the tax rolls. I mean that's land owned by the Seneca Nation, but it's not Seneca Nation land. Why? Because it's it's a commercial venture. The Senecas screwed themselves over their 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 unique process for reacquiring uh, lost land ancestral land they squandered it under the the advice of legal counsel in this gaming compact you know I, I once said the Senecas wanted gaming in the worst way and that's what they nego- negotiated and, I, and I'll tell you if they're going to pay 25% you know through 2023 Man, I just I hope all you Seneca people who are listening, and I know they're you know, like I don't I don't have a million listeners, and I I know the bulk of the Seneca population don't hear this show, at least not right out of the gate. But you better know that this is costing you. And if if they don't ever have to scale back your annuity payments, your you know your your monthly payments you get, which are t- which is tied to to gaming. I mean, certainly it's tied to the the lease. To the gaming corporation, that's how that's where this money comes from. You're certainly going to see a, see a loss in um, uh, in services in programs, or <laughs> you're going to see the Seneca Nation go further and further into debt, so they can maintain the lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to. Why? Because you're dishing out a billion dollars to the to the state of New York. And how gracious was the state of New York? Look, there was a period of time where there was uh, where the Senecas had withheld payment because of this this breach, right? And they negotiated um, uh, a settlement on on that on that revenue sharing. They had six hundred million dollars held in an escrow account, and they kept um, two hundred million of it and paid four hundred million. So they. So they essentially, um, the breach cost the state of New York $200 million of, of the money they they withheld. And some of the vitriol that came out of Niagara Falls and the gov- and, and Albany, out of, out of the governor's mouth, over the withholding of that payment then, to me, warranted uh, a response. After they settled this, when when the Senecas cut a check and they had one of those big checks, four hundred million dollars to the state of uh, to the state of New York, the governor and the and uh, of the state of New York and the mayor of Niagara Falls should have apologized to the Seneca Nation. And when I suggested so, Paul Deister dropped f bombs and stormed out of a out of a radio studio in, uh, in Buffalo, WBN Radio, because they could not even be gracious in getting a check for four hundred million dollars. And I guarantee it doesn't matter if the Senecas uh, um, start cutting checks to the state of New York that go into Niagara Falls, Buffalo, and, uh, and, and Salamanca. Because those mayors could, couldn't give a rat's ass. Byron Brown's probably, probably got bigger problems right now. 
and his new mayor in, in Niagara Falls, he will take any money that will come his way. It doesn't matter. And and, and I don't know, may, will, will he be grateful? I don't know. I, I The last one sure as hell wasn't. And the tensions will continue to, to exist. Because, again, I, I see all the posts. I When this when this uh, ruling came from this uh, Judge Scratney, I saw people, well, the Senate has got to pay. They, they don't have any basis for that, for that belief. They just say it. Well, why would the Senecas have? Uh, somebody, somebody posted this. Well, what would the Senecas have if they, if, if not for the state and federal government? I'll tell you, they'd add their land back is what they would have. They, they would, they, if they didn't have the state and federal government squeezing them on every damn thing from jurisdictional issues to land use issues and now to gaming revenue. Look, if you're a Seneca, you should be pissed that the state of New York is still as oppressive as they ever have been. And they're taking a billion... They're, they're, I mean, look, and they're using every one of the systems that they're proficient in. Courts, arbitration, lawyering. They're using their system to screw you out of a billion dollars going forward. And look, that's just a matter of fact. And I'll tell you, let the state of New York prove that what they prove that they gave something up in the first place. They they can't even prove that. They can't quantifiably say, "Look, sure you paid us a billion and a half dollars, but we would have we we could have made that money if we didn't offer you this this exclusivity." No, you couldn't because your state law prohibited it. And to the extent that you could compete against us, you did. That's just, those are just facts. And and again, part of what again going back to what this judge refused to do, this judge would not press the Interior Department, and the Interior Department won't step up on their own. But that's this is another, um, I, so the, the the two options I discussed was to re-enter arbitration, call for arbitration over over revenue sharing agreement that is that is no longer valid under the the terms of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. I think that they, they could they could call that. They also could refuse to pay and force the state to take them to federal court and dispute the uh, the value of uh, of the revenue sharing agreement. But the other thing that they they can, can they can and should continue to do one thing they should team up with those guys in in Oklahoma those native gaming uh, 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 territories in in, um, in Oklahoma and the ones who recently got a a bit of a, a win over revenue sharing in New Mexico they should. They should work with other native territories and press the Interior Department to do their freaking job. They're the ones who are dropping the ball. It is on the Interior Department. It's on the Bureau of Indian Affairs to say, look, the state is violating um, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act because their revenue-sharing agreement does not pass the test on whether it's a tax or not. They are taxing. In fact, that's what the newspapers call it. The newspapers recently put a... uh, One of the newspapers had an article that says, well, should native gaming be taxed at the same rate as um, uh, as non-native gaming? Why? Because they don't. They know this isn't revenue sharing. This is the state fleecing native gaming. And you know what? There, as far as you know, the newspapers are concerned, na- native gaming should be fleeced even more. Why? 
I'll tell you why. Because their non-native gaming facilities aren't making the money. Delago, the one that's stealing market share from Seneca Gaming, hell, they can't even make payment on the, on their on their loans. They're just they're just paying interest. They can't pay their 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 principal down. They're trying to sell that that the white elephant to the Seneca Nation. Yeah. So the the casino that that uh, that is licensed by the state of New York, they're hoping they can get the Seneca Nation to buy that 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 slug. Sad part is, I think the Seneca Nation is considering it. And you know what? That one won't operate as a native casino. And how problematic is that? Look, Seneca's you need to you need to reach out to your elected officials, your leaders or whatever i mean your families you guys need to speak in a solid voice and you know what let let the media know what you feel about this thing this isn't look this isn't about corruption within the seneca nation it is about a certain level of incompetence by by your legal counsel you should you guys should be storming the next council session raising hell about um any possibility that the seneca nation is going to start you know is going to pay another billion dollars to the state going forward and they might. And actually, in, in my humble opinion, they probably will. All right. So that's my show on this subject. I'll keep you posted on what I hear, and uh, we'll probably cover this issue again. Um, this is It definitely has an impact on the lifestyles of Seneca people and, uh, and the Seneca Nation you know, financial strength. So we'll talk about it going forward. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native, and we'll see you on, uh, we'll see you on Tuesday. Don't cry.